so glad that you've come to celebrate Christmas with us. For many, Christmas is a real time of celebration, isn't it? I don't know if you're one of those people who kind of gets as excited as a little child when Christmas is coming. I realized this year I get more excited than a little child. I, I um, was at Ikea, discount Christmas trees, amazing. Um, it was 9 a.m. Saturday, November the 24th. That's the first day they sell them. And there I was with our nearly three-year-old, and I was picking up every tree in the stack to see which was the biggest one, the heaviest one, the highest one. And my daughter, Grace, was um, just wanting a yogurt from the cafe. (laughs) Some of us here will be really excited about Christmas. But I'm aware, and Johnny prayed earlier, that many of us won't feel like celebrating at all. I'm aware in our church family that we've had lots of hard times this year. Maybe you're expecting a really hard December. There's serious illness, there's grief, there's relationship breakdowns, there's all sorts of personal scars and sorrows and sadnesses that we carry into the Christmas season. And actually, even if tragedy hasn't come close to home personally this year, I mean, when we lift our eyes and look at the political scene, the economic scene, well, the picture isn't that happy, is it? Huge uncertainties about Brexit. Huge divisions in the US, populist protests over Europe, ongoing war in Syria. I mean, it's hard not to feel a bit gloomy. We've just remembered the 100th anniversary of the First World War, the war they described as the war to end all wars. And then there was a sequel. And to be honest, as international cooperation and trust begins to kind of break down again, Well, it seems like we're heading to more conflict, not less. At which point, I wonder if you find the kind of Christmas tinsel, the jingle bells, the twinkly trees, the talk of angels announcing hope and joy and peace to all mankind. I wonder if you just think it rings a bit hollow, to be honest, a bit kind of empty sentimentality, a bit bit like Santa, fun for the kids. Fun for one night of kind of candlelit carols at Chalmers, but, but we all know, don't we? Personally, politically, we all know this isn't the real world. Well, tonight, I want to say that Jesus Christ gives genuine, actual, factual, historical hope in a dark world. Christians believe that Christmas is an actual reason to hope, real hope in a dark world. And to explain that briefly, I'm going to address two questions. The first question is, is Christmas good news? The second is, is Christmas fake news? Is Christmas good news? Is Christmas fake news? So firstly, why is Christmas good news, we think? Well, to answer that, we're going to look back at the second reading we had. It's printed on your sheet, but it's almost certainly too dark to see, so it will come up on the screen behind me. This is a famous passage. You may have heard it from many, many Advent services or carol services. It's beautiful, isn't it? It's a poetic picture of hope. The people walking in darkness, verse 2, have seen a great light. Beautiful language. What most people don't realize is that this was written in times of serious international turbulence. 
Isaiah was speaking hundreds of years before Jesus, and he was speaking at a time when his audience faced invasion. I mean, you think Brexit is bad. We often make the mistake of thinking the Bible is a million miles away from real life, from the kind of nitty-gritty gloom that we sometimes face. But actually, I mean, I know, I know tea towel shepherds don't have much to do with international crisis and job uncertainty and war, but don't mistake school nativities from the message of the Bible about Christmas. Isaiah is well aware how dark and chaotic and scary the world can be. And yet God used him at that moment of crisis to promise hope. Seriously good news in a seriously dark world. Let's just have a look. Verse 1. There will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. Or verse 2. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. See, Isaiah's message isn't pretending that the world is rosy. Quite the opposite. He says, in a dark world, the light will break in. There'll be a sunrise, a dawn, a light bursting forth, reason to hope. And then as the reading goes on, verse 3, it will be a cause for serious joy. There's a kind of party going on in verse 3. Massive celebration. Repeat the sounding joy. What's the good news? Well, verse 4 is talking about being freed from oppression and warfare, the rod of their oppressor being broken. These people he was speaking to are one day going to be free from the conflict they're facing. But then the good news gets even better and bigger and more relevant to us tonight because in verse 5 he says this is going to involve the end of war full stop. Just look up at that. Every warrior's boot used in battle, every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. It's an amazing picture. Isaiah's promising that the clothes you might wear to war just won't be needed. The military hardware can all be piled up, set fire to. I mean, you need to stand back, but just think of it. The, the jackboots, the, the helmets, the nukes, the napalm, the, the Kalashnikovs, the tanks, the IEDs, piled up, burnt, no longer needed. It's a picture of peace on earth. Imagine a world like that. Just no more terrible headlines from Iraq or Syria, Afghanistan. No more budget needed for defense. That really would help the NHS. Just imagine that the stability, the peace, the reassurance. But of course, humanity's never got anywhere close to this. So the 20th century opened with kind of humanistic hope. Maybe now we've got lots of technology. Maybe now humanity's come of age. And then it closed with, well, according to one historian, 83 million dead by genocide or tyranny. 60 million dead through war. We've never got close to a world genuinely at peace, whether it's humanism, Marxism, atheism, socialism, or our current kind of creaking capitalism. If anything, humanity's great kind of ideologies seem to trigger conflict rather than resolve it. So how on earth can Isaiah promise this? 
Well, verse 6 explains his reason, the reason there will be hope. And here's the thing. Fundamentally, the Christian hope is not an idea or a philosophy or a way of life. Fundamentally, there is hope in a person, Jesus Christ. Verse 6, for us, to us, a child is born. Isaiah says there's hope because a baby's on the way. Jesus Christ is coming. He says that baby will be a king. So to us, the son is given and the government will be on his shoulders. And he says he'll be king over the world and bring international peace. So verse 7, of the greatness of his government and peace, there'll be no end. I mean, I hope you see that's the most extraordinary claim. Ask any new parent and they'll tell you that adding a baby into the mix is not usually a recipe for peace. But actually, seriously, even when he grows up, how can one baby, one man, well, how on earth can that end centuries of human bloodshed and war? It is just an extraordinary claim. But then it is an extraordinary baby he's talking about. Just think, what kind of wisdom and power would you need to sort out the mess of this world? I mean, we're struggling to find a leader or a replacement leader who can even sort out Brexit. You'd need the mind of God. You'd need the infinite power of the Creator to be able to put a stop to all the evil and war. But actually, that's exactly what this baby has. Just look at the names he's given. Verse 6, he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He's wonderful counsellor. That's to say that unlike kind of bewildered think tanks at the moment, he's wise. He knows exactly what's best for the future. No guesswork. He's mighty God. So unlike loads of visionaries who have great ideas but no way of making them happen, well, he can actually stop the warmongers. He's everlasting father, so unlike cheap referendum promises, this king deeply cares for his people. He's a father who always loves them. He's prince of peace, so unlike lots of strong rulers, his rule doesn't trigger more fights, but permanently ends them. Isaiah says an extraordinary king is going to be born. God himself is going to come as a baby, and that will bring peace on earth. Christmas is really good news. In a seriously dark world, this is seriously good news. But I wonder if you're still listening, whether the second question is coming into your mind. I mean, it all sounds lovely. Who wouldn't want peace on earth? But isn't this fake news? Just fanciful, wishful thinking, you know, the sentimental nonsense, the kind of Charming carol service fluff, the religious fake news. Maybe some people listening to Isaiah, when he first said it in 740 BC, thought that. Come on, Isaiah, read the news. This is wishful thinking. But here's the thing. It's much harder to argue that when this extraordinary baby actually arrives. There was actually a baby born who turned out to be God walking on earth. It actually happened. That's why Christians celebrate Christmas. I mean, I know it's hard to fathom that there's nothing like it. 
Presumably that's why God gave us 700 years warning. God promised 700 years beforehand where this baby would be found and who he would be. And the eyewitness histories, they all stack up. So I'll give you some of the details. Verse 1 told us that um, Galilee would be one of the places this light would shine. Galilee is just a provincial backwater, but it would be honoured. And it turns out that's where Jesus' family stayed. Isaiah 9 verse 7 tells us the baby will be born in the line of David. Turns out Jesus was born to parents from David's line. He was born in Bethlehem, the town of David. If you were here this morning, we heard Micah, another prophet at Isaiah's time, promising that would be exactly where to find his birth. Isaiah 9, 6, biggest of all, gives him names you would only call God. And then Jesus' disciples, his close friends, watched him. They watched him calm storms. They watched him heal the sick. They watched him raise dead people. And despite being good Jews, they said there's no other conclusion possible than God is in the flesh, standing in front of us. It's not fake news. Predicted beforehand, proven in public, witnessed by many. And there are plenty of accounts. You can check it out for yourself. I know one of the problems in our culture, our day, is knowing kind of which news can you actually trust. I mean, even videos can be deep faked now. So much for the camera never lies. But, but God has provided four different accounts of Jesus' life and death. We heard about Mark on the screen. There's another one here. This is Luke's gospel. It's a history based on the eyewitnesses. There are free at the door if you want to read one yourself. It's not fake news. It's, it's actual historical events, which means it's reliable, a reliable hope in a dark world. If you haven't read a gospel as an adult, I'd love you to take a couple of hours. I think it's well worth it for, a new, for news this good. So Christmas is good news, and Christmas is not fake news. But just before I finish, I want to address one key and I guess quite obvious objection to what I'm saying. I think there's one reason why some here may feel like even despite those prophecies and despite this evidence the eyewitness accounts, well, still, this must be fake news. And the objection is this. If this divine baby was supposed to bring peace on earth, well, how come we still see war? It's a good question. And the answer is sobering. I think, though, it's the most important news you can hear in life. So please stay with me for another couple of minutes while I explain the Bible is really clear that the reason we see so much war and conflict in our world is because there's a deeper problem. That is a symptom that things are fundamentally not right between us and our Creator. Put it like this, we war with others because we're at war with God. It works like this. Each of us has decided that I should call the shots. We reject the idea that God, who made us, should be king over us. And so we all put ourselves on the throne, 
Each of us kind of sets ourselves up as the king of our universe. God says we should love him with everything we've got and love others as ourselves. But we say, well, stuff God, I'm in charge. I call the shots, I decide what's right and wrong. I'll look after number one, and then God and other people can kind of fit round that. But here's the problem. If you have more than one person trying to be king of the universe, you inevitably get conflict. It's whether it's armed or just verbal, you get conflict. Conflict between spouses, between colleagues, between factions, between tribes, between nations. We fight each other because ultimately we're fighting God. And King Jesus made it clear there will be a day when he stops that. He's going to judge the world in, in perfect righteousness. He's going to put a stop to all the conflict, all the bloodshed, all the evil, all the lies, all the wrong, all the rejection of God. He'll bring this total global peace. But before that great day, that kind of day of reckoning, that, that day when he removes the causes of conflict, punishes the perpetrators of violence or selfishness or lies, before that day, Jesus came to offer forgiveness. He came in humility as a baby at Christmas so that he could die in humiliation at Easter, die for us, to offer us forgiveness, offer us peace. You see, it's really easy to look out there and see the gloomy reality of human conflict, the cycle of wars, the exploitation. It's harder to realize that we contribute. We all put ourselves as number one in various ways. We contribute. If you don't believe that, or try playing a board game with your family this Christmas. We all push God off the throne and we climb up there ourselves. And Christmas is wonderful good news because Jesus, rather than coming just as a mighty king to stamp it all out, well, first he came to save. That's why the angel added one more name to Isaiah's list. You will call him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus doesn't just save us from war out there. He will. But far more importantly, he saves us from the sin that's in here. He saves me from war with God. A war I can't win, and nor can you. Which makes Christmas the most amazing good news. It is good news. It is not fake news. It's a wonderful thing that one day Jesus will bring peace between nations. It's an even more wonderful thing that tonight he could make peace between you and your maker. That's what we're celebrating tonight, whether you like trees or not. As the angel said, I bring you good news with great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a saviour's been born to you. If you don't know that piece, I'd love to talk to you or talk to someone who brought you. If you think it's fake news, I'd love you to just look at the evidence if you haven't already. I'm going to close now with a short prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you. You loved the world so much that you sent your only son 
born as a baby, exactly where you said he'd be born. And thank you that that man grew up to die on a cross to offer us forgiveness before he returns to bring peace to the earth. And we pray that some here tonight might realize what good news that is for the very first time. In Jesus' name, amen.